RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just as sure as Miles' love for Keiko, or maybe Keiko's love for Miles, it's Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It must be Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Yes, it is Mission Log Live, the show where you, our Star Trek pals, join us, your Star Trek pals, to talk about Star Trek. Tonight, we are pleased to welcome Academy Award-winning makeup and BFX, or visual effects artist Robert Short. Uh, He's had a hand in many versions of Star Trek, from the animated series, believe it or not, all the way to Voyager and a number of TV and feature films along the way. We'll welcome Robert to the show in just a minute, along with your questions and comments, because yes, this is the at-home version of this game. You can join us by clicking on the Zoom meeting link, or you can use the one top from your smartphone, or you can call us on the telephone just the way your parents and their parents did and their parents before them. Maybe not their parents before them, though, because phones are relatively new when you think about it. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Then you punch up the meeting code, and uh, those numbers are on the screen for your convenience. Uh, Standing by, waiting for your call, of course, is uh, Earl Green, the inimitable Earl Green. He tried being inimitable. It just didn't work out. Oh, that's too bad. Hey, Ken, you said Star Trek pals. That made me think, who are the Star Trek pals who are watching right now? Well, I'm going to tell you. We got Cosmo checking in. We got Scott Mays. We got Carlos. We got, uh, uh, let's see here. We got Pam. Uh, we got Cooley. Cooley. Uh, we got Dave. We got uh, Casey, who is also saying Cooley. Uh, we've got Jeff. We've got Steve. We've got Kim. We've got Vicky. Uh, there's just so many people checking in saying hi to us. There's Michael. Uh, there's Ian. So good to see all of our pals uh, just saying hi. Already, Carlos is saying, uh, shakes his fist in the air at Cooley. So I'm glad this is catching on. I'm glad that this is a meme happening right here. Oh, and there's Aaron, Aaron Harvey. So uh, hi to everybody. Welcome to our Star Trek pals. And uh, yeah, you you're in for a treat tonight because I, I have to tell you, you know, there's a lot of people who know a lot of Star Trek trivia and they might know a lot of behind the scenes people, but they may not know Robert Short's name and they may not know just how far into Star Trek he goes. I'm going to say he's like the Forrest Gump of Star Trek. It's like you look and you look and then, oh, look, there's Robert Short again, just showing up in Star Trek and so many other cool shows, so many other cool projects. So you guys are in for a treat. Call in. This guy has got behind the scenes stories like you would not believe. Now, we do want to thank everybody for checking us out here live on Facebook or on YouTube, youtube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. You can, of course, check out the video later in both of those places. And if that's what you're doing, hey, we want to thank you again. And finally, if you're grabbing the audio only version of this podcast, well, heck, we want to thank you, too. Uh, wherever you find us, uh, we do want to ask uh, two more favors. Please hit like and please hit share because uh, algorithms. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the reason. Algorithms, you do that and it feeds whatever beast is telling people horrible things. Except this time it's telling people good things like, hey, come hang out with your pals and talk about Star Trek, won't you? Algorithms. He was uh, he was a blues singer. I think he, right. I think he, well, okay. he started off in gospel, but then he went a little blues. And then uh, once he went rock and country, everybody was like, yeah, I'm off that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked last week about how uh, convention season is over. And I realized that was very John and Ken centric. 
because convention season, I mean, sure, there's a season because of like, you know, Comic-Con and sort of the big things that happen in the summer, but the convention season just rolls on through the year. Um, we talked last week about uh, Dragon Con and the fact that Sue Kissingweather was going to be there. I thought you were joking when you said 20 panels for her, but she did 20 <laughs> panels, 20 <laughs> panels know. last weekend, which is insane. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. And yet this is the first year that she thought, hey, I'm taking the day after off. I, I don't have I, I don't have that much stuff to talk about. 20 panels. I by by panel number eight, I just be like, so uh, I like drinks. Do you right. like drinks? <laughs> that would be. That let me would, run you a let me run you a clip from my last panel. All right, and that would just be it for like the rest of the time. I think. <laughs> and the reason I'm bringing up uh, you know conventions and such is because there's one more uh, immediately uh, that you and I know about. Our good friend, uh, Doctor Trek, Larry Nemechek, he of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, specifically, he of uh, the Trek Files. Is, uh, is going to be at Fan X Salt Lake, which uh, this year they're having in Salt Lake City. Mm, crazy. Yeah, you know, you can tell, right? So, yeah. so get this lineup, get this lineup. Uh, Benedict Wong from, of course, uh, the Marvel Universe at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom Holland, formerly of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Hayden Christensen from uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. A whole bunch of stars. Like, they're all really small and it's difficult to see without my glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Larry Nemechek. Larry Nemechek is going to be there as well. So, so if Tom Holland wasn't enough to get you there. Yeah, or or shattered glasses, Hayden Christensen. I mean, that's. Uh, that's I don't know that. Is that a yeah. thing? Yeah, okay. shattered glass was uh, a movie about uh, Stephen Glass, the uh, uh, the reporter who just made up stuff that made it through the New York Times, and I want to say the Wall Street Journal, maybe maybe one or the other or both. Uh, but he, he would just make up crazy stuff uh, that would slip past the uh, fact checkers because, of course, they're fact checkers and not fraud checkers. And he would leave these weird breadcrumbs. It's a whole it's a whole thing, and he's great in it. He's okay. really that movie. So uh, well, then if. If Larry Nemechek isn't enough, Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, FanX Salt Lake, that runs the 5th. So I guess Friday through the 7th, uh, I guess Sunday in Salt Lake City. Uh, check your local listings for, you know, stuff and things. Hey, we have a uh, we have a poll question, John. Yes, we do. Now, last week, uh, we asked you about uh, a Worf series because, it, you know, there's so much new Star Trek happening right now and so much new Star Trek to happen in the coming years. And uh, and of course, it was like it was time for that evergreen discussion. Should we have a, uh, a Captain Worf series? Well, 69 percent of you said make it so. 31 percent of you said believe that order. I- I'm going to say I-, I fall into the latter camp. Believe that order i want to see other star trek i want to see different and new star trek don't necessarily need more of wharf because well we've had a lot of wharf um yeah. interesting to catch up with picard but um look doesn't mean i don't like wharf just saying that I'm, if i have a choice yeah well you're it, it, i find that very interesting because you yeah. could argue that uh, the newest star trek you're going to get is below decks is that what it's called lower decks uh, lower decks yeah. the cartoon yeah. yes because yeah. while we didn't know uh, Michael Burnham, and we didn't know the crew of Discovery. It it does take place ten years before TOS. It does do the Mirror Universe. It does Spock. It does it does, yeah. um, Sarek. It does yeah. all those people. I mean, we haven't seen new Star Trek in probably since Nemesis. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so so sure. but it's Worf is where you're going to draw the line. 
Yeah, well, because, okay, look, Sarek, Sarek total screen time, we're talking a few hours. Uh, uh, Worf yeah. has been in like 32 seasons of TV. That's true. Okay. That's true. And every movie. Yeah. Like, and even, and even about like movies, they're like, what are you doing here? And yeah. She's like, it, uh, right. Contractual obligation, you know. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Anyway, so that was last week. See, I'm, I'm on the make it so side. If you're going to okay. keep just, if you're going to keep, you know, bringing back old characters, then why not give that one a shot? I don't okay. necessarily want him to be Captain Worf, but you know, I'm willing to see what's going on with Worf these days. Why not? Uh, as far as this week's poll question, and Matthew Corey, by the way, just knocking it out of the park two weeks in a row that we've turned to, you know, the ether and said, what would be a good poll question? And Matthew Corey has come sailing out of the ether and said, how about this one? How did you spend your Labor Day? Were you relaxing or were you laboring? 73% of you said you were relaxing. I envy you people. Uh, 27% said laboring. John and I were actually laboring yesterday on Labor yeah. Day. We spent Labor Day uh, doing what the title says. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Yeah, laboring yeah. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, uh, labor all the time. Uh, again, thank you, Matthew Corey. Uh, somebody get that guy a job on Mission Log because uh, he is killing it. So thank you, Matthew, so much for that. Hey, let's say hello to our guests. Now, uh, Robert Short, I, I need to give a quick word of introduction here. Um, I'm a fan of the spy series, A Man from Uncle. I've said that many times on Mission Log. I'm sure that people are sick of hearing about it. Uh, and one of the names in fan circles that always con- comes up in relation to The Man from Uncle is Robert Short because he's an expert on the show. He has worked in some way on every iteration of The Man from Uncle, even the never produced Quentin Tarantino version. So if you want to talk about unproduced Quentin Tarantino or speculative Quentin Tarantino, He's probably the guy to talk to about that as well. And that's how I got to know him. Now, little did I realize that Bob has some very deep Star Trek roots. Uh, he worked on the maquettes and in the ink and paint department for Star Trek, the animated series. He did mask design and sculpts for Don Post Studios. He worked on special effects for Star Trek, the motion picture. He even provided the creature design for the Voyager episode, Distant Origin, And get this, it all started with a visit to the set of the original series. A little more on that later. So some of his movie credits include Cocoon, Predator, Chopping Mall, E.T., Beetlejuice, for which he won an Oscar for makeup effects. I'm leaving out so much here because this is the kind of conversation where we can just wind them up and let them go. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Robert Short. Such a pleasure to have you here. Hi guys, pleasure. As they say, pleasure, pleasure to be here tonight. Well, it, it is certainly fantastic to have you here. Look, I, I, I feel like we kind of have to start with the big thing, um, which to me is this golden era of TV, late sixties. And you had told me that your sister was working as an actor, kind of, you know, background actor sometimes uh, every now and then. Did she get some featured roles uh, ever in in her her time in front of the camera? No, she I mean, every once in a while she would get a line, uh, which was great. But she never really played a particular character except for MASH. Mash, she was one of the regular nurses that was like oh. every episode. Not that she had dialogue all the time, but she was somebody who was like always there on a weekly basis. Mash was more or less the show that that she um, really made her presence known. 
on shows like uh, T.H.E. Cat and Man from Uncle and things like that, she'd appear once every five episodes as some miscellaneous, you know, as some miscellaneous character. Whereas on MASH, even though I don't think she ever had a name per se, she was always, you know, basically playing the same character week in and week in and week out. So MASH and also on... um, uh, um, it's not General Hospital. It's the Vince Edwards. Specific Hospital. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, specific General, as opposed to. Um, uh, oh, I can't. Um, well, she. So, so she. Well, well, she was doing all this work. Chad, the Chad Everett. Uh, Dr. Yeah, yeah. So there okay. were a few. There were a few shows that she was. Yeah, that she. You know, continued a, a kind of a character on. But again, like on Uncle or Mission or Mission Impossible. Um, she would just be somebody who turned up in a casino. Right, right. So so here's you, teenage Robert Short, just hanging out. Your sister's on set, and you're just like, I'm going to go along for the ride. And I cannot imagine this happening today where you just sort of show up and, and you're befriending people and ingratiating yourself on the sets of these now just iconic shows, and you're you're hanging out. Yeah, well, they were, they're worth it. Yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting time and one that you didn't really realize just how special it was going to be or how, how lasting a lot of those series were going to be. Um, things like, yeah, I, I, you know, um, uh, my sister was a contact. I had other friends who were, were contacts at other studios and stuff. So I kind of was able to spread, spread my time around the, the studios. Um, and just, as you say, just to hang out on sets. So I did have a chance, you know, uh, at, uh, at times to just hang out on the Lost in Space set or the, or the Sea View and the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and sit in the flying sub chairs and wiggle the, you know, wiggle the controls around. And, and one of the times that I was visiting my sister, um, on, uh, on Mission Impossible, um, uh, you know, you could, I, I, what was great is I had the ability to, you know, to, you know, visit the, sh- the sound stages that were next door. If you were on the Mission Impossible set, you could turn, walk out a door. And if you turned right, you'd be kind of going toward Mod Squad and I, you know, the, the, that was a little later, but I spy, you know, shot a couple of doors down. And then if you turned left, you'd end up in the start in the enterprise, you know, in, right. in, in the Star Trek set. So I, I'm going to ask Earl to post this picture uh, that you sent to me some time ago. Uh, so Earl, if you can bring that up for our, uh, our audience that's watching tonight, a shot of you sitting in the captain's chair on the set of Star Trek on the original series. Um, this is, it, it's just absolutely going to blow people's minds. It's this black and white photo of you. Uh, you have some very stylish kind of white pants. Uh, you're wearing a jacket. You look like you're totally dedicated to the moment, to the scene. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. There's nobody else on set with you. Although if you look closely kind of at the right corner that where the set ends, uh, it looks like there's a, a reflection or a shadow of somebody who was standing over there. I don't know if that was who was taking the picture or whatever, but um, tell us about that moment. This is so cool. You know, I can't, you know it's, it's one of the, it's one of those things that the, the, the photo I had even forgotten that the photo had been taken. 
because, you know, as, you, as you're there and you're assimilating everything and you're watching stuff, um, sometimes a moment like that passes you by. And it wasn't until recently that the photo came to my attention. I was like, oh, I forgot. I mean, literally, it was one of those. I forgot all about having taken a photo in the, in the captain's chair. Um, but I normally would never, you know, in that photo, uh, I would normal, I would never normally wear my windbreaker zipped up, period. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's just not my style, but yeah. I felt like that would be the right thing to do for kind of having a, 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 um, uh, a federation, a, a much more federation looking outfit on for that, but at that particular time. So I, I do remember zipping up the jacket. So it was kind of like, okay, well, this will look certainly much more appropriate, you know, as opposed to a guy in a windbreaker. You fit right in, though. And and by the way, people are, as I expected, people are freaking out. I, there's this is a long list of reactions. Oh, my God, what a fantastic image. That is incredible. No way. That's so cool. Of course. And uh, for anybody who's listening to the audio only version of this, uh, I'll throw this picture up on our website. So you can go okay, take a look good. at it. Missionlogpodcast.com. And of course, for me, I get to look back and go. Wow, cool. That that's what I looked like when I was 17. Cool. <laughs> so do you remember was this toward the end of the run is this like third season? The end of the run. Definitely in third season. Um there were several times where I visited the set uh during third season. Um and um you know my recollections are like my recollections are the same as like a lot of people. The thing that I found the most interesting is being around the cast and them just talking in their normal accents would always throw me off to have, you know, to have, you know, Scotty and Chekhov and stuff. Yeah. Just talking, you know, just talking in their normal dialects, you know, and, and McCoy without the, the Southern kind of, you know, o- overlay. And, and I, I do remember them pl- having their card games on the side of the set with a little fold out table, you know, and, um, uh, uh, so those kind of general memories st- stuck with me, but the, the biggest memory was going over one day, um, or actually it was several days in a row. And it was, um, during turnabout intruder. All we knew is that was the title of the, that was the title of the episode. And then there was a big, and then at rap, we, there was a big party for the, for the end of the week. And so I got to attend the, you know, the rap, you know, the, the rap luncheon party, whatever you want to call it, um, for turnabout intruder and, um, you know, shared sandwiches and, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of, kind of hung out on the periphery, not wanting to like be too much, you know, be, you know, uh, you know, be too much, too much of a presence as it were. And of course, Thinking, you know, and of course, not realizing that what I was attending was the rap party for the entire series. You went to the rap party for the entire <laughs> series, Bob. This is, yeah. You know, we, don't, we didn't, I mean, nobody was talking about it in those terms, but that's what it turned, you know. But yeah, turn about being the last episode, <laughs> that was but, that was that. But yeah, I happened to be there for the, for the party. The you know the weekly rap party for that for that episode. Do do you have any sense what uh, I, I mean? It's all these people who have worked together. What do they make of a seventeen year old interloper who's just hanging out? Mm, it just kind of oh, it's somebody hanging out. But there weren't a lot of pre- there wasn't a lot of presence of fans in those days. 
where mm-hmm. it was then, you know, it's like the, the, you could be at, in those days, you could be that young kind of hang out on the sidelines and people would figure you were a, you were a relative of somebody on the set or perhaps somebody next door, you know, on the next set. And there wasn't much made of it. And um, th- there just wasn't much made of it, but you didn't want to make, you know, and at the same time, you didn't want to make a pest of, you know, a, a pest of yourself and kind of bring attention to, to the fact that you're not really supposed to be there. You know, you kind of, you stand around as well as you can appearing to be part of, you know, supposedly supposed to be there. You know, it was okay. You know, it was okay on the other sets or if I had, or the sets that I had my specific contacts and I, on, on Trek, it just happened to be a, a place next door that I was visiting. And I didn't, you know, I certainly didn't want to make a, a big deal out of it. And, um, um, and so, and so, uh, you know, to me, again, you know, I didn't have any trouble being kind of, you know, blend into the background on Trek or any of the other shows because I was a big man from Uncle Fan. You know, that was the, the, the my visits to the Uncle set was, you know, that's where I got really nervous because that's where I really wanted to talk to everybody and find out what was going on and, you know, nose around and everything and get people to show me stuff. Whereas on Star Trek or, you know, again, Star Trek or Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea or um, uh, Wild Wild West, you know, you could kind of, you know, kind of hang back a little and just kind of, just kind of soak it in without wanting to like peel the layers back too much. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or uh, if you're on Facebook, and do all the stuff that's right there on the screen. Uh, there's even a, a thing going by saying uh, what the Zoom meeting code is. So, so really, the only thing standing between you and talking to us and our guest uh, Robert Short is uh, well, it's you, isn't it? Hey, I got a question. A couple of questions actually. So, seventeen, you're hanging out on set. You're talking to different people on different productions as well. Is uh, did you want to be on set because you always wanted to work in entertainment or did you end up wanting to work in entertainment because you were following your sister on her acting gigs and you thought, Hey, this doesn't look bad. Uh, no, I always wanted to be in film. I always wanted to work in film. I, uh, that was a deep seated love and, and goal from the very, from the get go being a monster, being a monster kid in the sixties, I was enamored with the universal monsters and, and other cre- you know, other monsters and stuff. And I was like, I want to make stuff. I want to make stuff like that. I want to make monster movies. I want to be in them. I always liked the, you know, my, my favorite of the monsters was, you know, the, was the Wolfman because of his athleticism. So I kind of thought maybe stunt work. And so it became this kind of combination of, you know, I'd like to get into films doing stunt work and makeup and, and maybe find my way, you know, my, my way through that. And then the James Bond films happened and the and man from uncle. And then I was like, wow, this action adventure stuff is just as cool as the monsters. And um, then it became, you know, it, it really did become a lifelong goal of, you know, what I want to do is, is make movies, be in the entertainment uh, business. And, and so it was, that was all that, you know, so that was always set. Um, and so I really appreciate, I really appreciated my, my time on set as a, you know, as a, as a kid. So then help me with the, help me with the timeline if you can, because it's season three of, 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 uh, of TOS. 
then you're hanging out on set and you're about 17 years old. I want to say the animated series started five years later. So you're only what, 21, 22. How did you end up? How did you end up working on the animated series? (laughs) (laughs) Well, ironically enough, what happened is that um, a friend of mine um, whose father had a plastics company used to provide the plastic for making the cells. And so I was like, Oh, your dad does what? Hmm. You know, um, you think they might have a job or, you know, I was just looking, you know, as, as a, you know, so I was looking as a, as a kid for like, you know, uh, a job, part-time, you know, part-time job, just a job. Um, and, um, uh, and so I got introduced to a fellow by the name of Rocky, um, who was like one of the plant managers um, through my uh, through my friend whose dad had the contact with supplying them with the plastic. And I ended up, you know, they ended up they ended up offering me a job in ink and paint. Now, traditionally, if you know anything about animation, guys don't do ink and paint. It's like it's it's a 99 percent woman's like domain in animation. Hmm. Um, and certainly all that stuff has been scrambled and is, is different is different now. Uh, and they almost offered me the ink and paint job as almost like a joke, like, you know, offer him ink and paint. He's not going to take it. There aren't any guys who do ink and paint. And I was like, no, this sounds really cool. I'll I'll. I'll take it on for a challenge. And so I, I ended up hiring on in the ink and paint department. And, but be, but because I had always kind of sculpted on my own, uh, just kind of doing goofy little projects and stuff. There was this character called Eric's um, in the show that I was really fond of. And I, I did some sculptures of, of Eric's. And then I was talking to the animators uh, who were in the upstairs level. We were in the downstairs and, um, they were so impressed with the Eric's, um, sculpture. They had me specifically do one that was like a, a study model for them because Eric's with the three arms and his particular facial features was driving them a little bit nuts. So, so I ended up doing this sculpture that the, that the animators used upstairs to kind of, you know, get them, you know, to you know, use as reference. For well, here's, here's a question I don't think any of us thought was going to come up today. What did you think of the Eric's uh, Christmas ornament that came out last year? (laughs) I got a kick out of that. I thought that was great, but I'm, I'm more of a Mares kind of fan myself. Yeah. Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so just going back real quick, you, you weren't a huge Star Trek fan. You, you were into uh, the Irwin Allen shows and uncle. Uh, but now Star Trek shows up again in your life because in the animated series, um, did that spark any sort of interest in going back and looking at was by then obviously in syndication. Do you check out the shows again? Did it? Sort I, checked, of- I, the, between, between the, the original series. And by the time I went into filmation, I had started going to, um, I had, I'd started going to fan kind of things like Lasfus and fanish picnics and stuff and, 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 um, started going and then somehow or another got roped into doing cosplay 
as Captain Kirk <laughs> with a friend who was always coming to the picnics as Spock. And so we got to do entertainment stuff and I got to do his makeup on the ears. And so, um, so then started do watching the old episode, you know, watching, you know, doing research and, and stuff. And then the interest in Star Trek just kind of, I, I think my interest in Star Trek just kind of started growing because of my fan connections more than the, more, you know, more than anything else. Cause there were, the, you know, it, it was an odd seventies, odd, uh, you know, seventies, early seventies, an odd time because Star Trek was, um, kind of a dead, you know, a kind of a dead entity, um, as, as was most shows that had been canceled. Sure. You know, it was, you know, it, what, there wasn't a big collector community. There wasn't a big, you know, um, there, there wasn't a lot of talk about bringing old series back. Um, it was, it was really a time of dormant, dormancy for, um, for pretty much all those, you know, for pretty much all those shows. Um, and then, and then the tide, and then the tides changed. Um, go ahead, go ahead. Well, now I was going to do the numbers again, and then, uh, well, let me do that. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or uh, if you're on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod. Uh, follow the directions there, and you can be uh, you can be right on with us. Uh, John, if you have a question that is tied to what we were just talking about, you should do that because after the bottom of the hour, I'm going to go in a completely different direction on you. Okay, cool. Uh, very quickly, did you work in Ink and Paint on both seasons of the animated series? Were you around for uh, most of the time of the production on that show? I believe so. I mean, yeah. I, um, uh, um, you know, it's... Um, the season that I remember the best is I'll say this. The season that I remember the best is the first is the, is the first season. Mm-hmm. I don't I honestly don't remember whether I uh, was around for the, the, the next, the next go around. Just curious. One of our uh, uh, listeners asked if you worked specifically on the magics of Magus two, but if you're around, we just have to assume that at some point, you were involved in all of it. Uh, it I'm just one of those, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that if you rattled, if I, if I, I'm like one of those typical people that worked on a show where people ask, what did you think of episode such and such? And I go, I don't remember no the idea. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, for me, it's very scattered. Me- it's a very scattered memory of things like, I remember being in the ink and paint department when the Kazin were first introduced. And yeah. we were like, what the hell are you asking us to do? You've got <laughs> us painting these things pink. It's right. a mistake. Though those are the things that I remember. It's like we, we were like, okay, we we're doing the chameleon thing, the octopus kind of guy. That's like really cool color combinations. And then uh, yeah, and then the Kazin come in and we were like uh, you've got to be kidding. Please tell us that you, you have made a mistake on the color call out on these, on these characters. That can't funny. possibly be. And, but just kind of, you can't, you, then you hold your tongue and go, okay, give me another pink cat. Give me another pink cat. <laughs> 
Well, uh, Megas 2 was right in the middle of season one, and that's where you have Lucian, uh, you know, half man, half goat. He's the devil. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Right. Yeah. So there, yeah, there you go. Like, I know the characters. I know the designs. Sure. It, it, I, when I have to put them to an episode, I'm like, uh. <laughs> right. Right. All right. So, uh, Ken, you're going to take us in another direction. Well, no, I was well, because we got the thing to do at the bottom of the hour. So you're going to take us in another direction. Then I'm going to take us in a completely different direction. But before either of those, I'll do it one more time. Okay. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call 669-900-6833 or use the one tap from your smartphone or uh, all the information that's on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod. And now, uh, Mr. Champion, I think you have something to do. Yes, I do. So I am so happy to let our audience know, get this. We are $176 from our goal doing our fundraising for Scott Palm and the heroic curriculum. Now, you've heard me talk about this every week for a few months. And, oh, we are so close. I can feel it. I can taste it. Um, we mentioned that the women at Warp really contributed the $500 donation. Uh, then Bruce, who we don't know, jumped in with a $250 donation. Uh, Ken, you did a, a shout out on Mac OS Ken the other day, and that really brought people out as well. People maybe hadn't heard the message in a while. So for those of you who don't know Scott Palm. He's our friend who is in the chat room right now. I saw him saying hi. I saw others saying hi to Scott. So say hi to Scott Palm. He's in there right now chatting with you. The heroic curriculum, which he developed in conjunction with Chase Masterson's Pop Culture Hero Coalition, is a curriculum designed to go into schools to reach two groups of kids. The first group is all about teaching kids who have serious physical disabilities, important values like resilience, healthy identity, breaking barriers, and other crucial mental health and life skills. The other group that he's trying to reach are the peers of those children with disabilities, teaching them values like inclusion, ending marginalization, and being an ally. Now, we, I'm so glad it's the beginning of September. The school year is starting or has started in a lot of different places. October coming up is bullying prevention month. So our timing could not be better. And we are so close to reaching that first goal. Now, this is important work to be done. And it is not the easiest work due to Scott's cerebral palsy, which is why the Roddenberry Foundation is joining with you to help Scott help the world. Now, if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod, or if you go to our Twitter page, twitter.com slash mission log pod, you will see a link pinned at the top of the page for the fundraiser. Every dollar that you give will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. So you'll be contributing to something that truly embraces the values of Star Trek put into action. Remember, every dollar is doubled by the Roddenberry Foundation. So go to facebook.com slash mission log pod. Look for that post at the top of the page. Make a donation. Even if you can't donate, just share the post. Make other people aware of it. Look, my goal is to make sure that we not only hit, but we exceed our goal. And then the Roddenberry Foundation is going to keep doubling your dollar, no matter how high we get that fund, uh, funding, funding raised for Scott. So we appreciate it. We know that Scott will appreciate it and you will be helping us make the world a better place. Six, six, nine, nine hundred, six, eight, three, three is the phone number to call six, six, nine, nine hundred, six, eight, three, three. Or you can use the one top from your smartphone or follow the instructions on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod. 
Um, I said I was going to take us in a completely different direction because I know John. John can talk about Men from Uncle all day long. John can talk about 60s and 70s television all day long. I would hate it <laughs> if we did not talk about Beetlejuice because Beetlejuice was just an amazing film to me. It, it just like, you know, uh, the, the comedy that uh, not horror exactly, but horror in a way. And what's interesting is to hear you uh, to hear that you actually won uh, an Academy Award um, uh, tied to the makeup on that. And what's weird is I can't quite figure out when I'm thinking about Beetlejuice where the makeup work ends and the effects begin. Things like when Beetlejuice becomes uh, the, uh, the, the, I can't think of the name of it, but the game oh, basically. The, the carnival game. game. Yeah. Yes, the carnival game. When Beetlejuice becomes the carnival game or when they're standing there saying, how's this for scary? And then you see the back, you know, the shot of the back of Beetlejuice's head and you see his face kind of explode out, you know, but you're seeing it from behind. Talk to me first of all about uh, specifically the work you did on there, where that line is, and, and then just anything else you want to say about Really, Tim Burton's first real movie, the first Tim Burton movie, because, you know, he'd done Pee-wee's Big Adventure and a couple of other things before that. But just if you could give me like, you know, all that on that, and then uh, I'll let John ask any question he wants about Man <laughs> from Uncle. <laughs> well, gosh, I wish I, I wish I knew what to say. Um, no, I, I was I was responsible for the um, uh, creature creature effects on the uh, film, which is the makeup effects, um, which means that it was my responsibility to come up for the how how to create stuff like exactly, ironically enough, exactly what you, you know, what you mentioned, you know, my responsibilities was um, creating the carousel hat, the unfolding arms, the mallets, um, uh, that whole look, the whole, mecha- all the mechanics of that hat, the little creatures on the edge of the hat. Um, uh, the, um, uh, the, um, um, coming up with how to do the, you know, his face exploding, mm-hmm. uh, are the, the, um, so, so going down the, I, I can't give you a complete list, but, um, the, I'm thinking it, about things one, too. One, like one thing I'm not, the one thing I was not involved with is Beetlejuice's own makeup, you know, which is makeup, makeup right but on that, uh, the rest the rest of it was in my lap, which is, you know, uh, Juno sliced throat when she's uh, smoking the fly in the graveyard, the, the shrimps coming out of the bowls, attacking people. Um, again, as I said, the, uh, you know, the stretch faces of Adam and Barbara, um, the the, uh, the chattering, the little things like chattering teeth on the floor, uh, the preacher, the preacher creature, um, the plate that slams on Barbara's mouth to keep her shut up. Um, uh, the football players, the flattened guy, the smoking dead guy, anybody who was in the, um, afterlife room, the shark on the guys on the diver, the little shrunken head guy, that's all under my auspices. So I was going to, I was going to ask specifically about that room because there are just so many things that happen in that room. Little things like, you know, from the shrunken head to yeah. uh, Beetlejuice is sitting next to a lovely pair of legs. Right, right, the and 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 the, the right, yeah. and the upper and the upper half is on his other side, right? That's just yeah, that's all under my auspices and and how that stuff gets uh, how that stuff gets done. Yeah, my company was was responsible for you know for building you know, for building all that, and the designs were a combination of 
of Alan Mon- of uh, Alan Monroe, the visual effects supervisor, uh, Tim Burton, and uh, and then uh, my responsibility uh, in was to to capture exactly the feeling that Tim uh, that Tim was after. Uh, in regards to the characters, I actually had to do a, an audition by creating a character based on a maquette that they gave me that I had to replicate exactly and capture the whole ten, the whole tone and feeling and basic emotion of that character and do a test, you know, do a test, uh, test session and footage and stuff. And that went well enough where, you know, that's, that's why Tim, uh, brought me on. Um, and I had learned that stuff from Don Post Studios, um, how to recreate stuff dead, pretty much dead on the, the kind of the study of, you know, how to capture the broad strokes of design and bring it and bring it through to fruition. Did you work with, uh, did you work with him on anything else? Because I mean, if you, anything, well, I don't want to say anything that you see, but I would even say that there are elements in the 2001 Planet of the Apes. I mean, there is a, there is a, design language with with which tim burton works or in which uh, tim burton plays i mean there's no mistaking i mean like even like uh, batman returns i think is fairly close to beetlejuice yeah, that's fairly identifiable you know as far as uh, tim's basic you know his 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 basic tool set regarding his his designs and stuff and beetlejuice is the only thing that i work with tim on um but Tim himself, you know, everybody works from Tim's own sketches and they can be very rough sketches, but they always there is a certain a certain sensibility to them that everybody, you know, that everybody tries to uh, follow and, and stay, you know, and stay in line with. Um, I, you know, there's there's stuff in his early work that kind of precedes Beetlejuice. You can kind of see that design element happening and then stuff in Beetlejuice then goes on to affect and, and, and influence other projects as well. I always got a kick out of the fact that if you look very closely on the top of the carousel hat that Beetlejuice is wearing when he comes out of the graveyard, if you catch the ornament on the top of the hat, it's pretty much Jack Skellington's head. So you know, that's kind of where Jack Skellington starts. Right. Uh, that's a, well, that's a tremendous amount of fun. I had, uh, I, I, yeah, it was, uh, thank you. Uh, John, please. Now any seventies or sixties or seventies TV questions, uh, <laughs> well, the floor is yours. No, actually, I mean, look, we could do six hours on man from uncle and that would just be getting warmed up. I, I, everybody to death. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and I did. I, go, I, man I had, from what? Right. And I had the, the great privilege and pleasure earlier today to go through a VR simulation of Uncle Headquarters created by Robert uh, in a VR platform called Rec Room. Uh, it is not yet ready for prime time. This was kind of a preview thing, but I, I'm here to tell you it was just stunning. It was like walking into the TV show. And that's what you want when you have a VR experience. So that, that is yet to come. And, and maybe we'll get back to an uncle story or two. But knowing our audience, I do want to take it back to Star Trek for just a minute because you had a couple of other experiences that I want to hit on um, that we just mentioned in passing, uh, the Don Post Studios. So at this time, you know, you're talking about this this fallow mid seventies period where star Trek is in syndication. There's a lot of fan interest, but look, it's not back on the air. Uh, the movie is still a ways away in 79, but you have this opportunity 
again, I, I just I want to know how you made this connection, how this job landed in your lap where you did this design and sculpts for what became those Don Poe's 70s full head masks. Uh, you got the Migato, you've got uh, the Gorn, you've got Shatner later to become Michael Myers. And then you've got Nimoy as Spock. Uh, give us the, the oh, nutshell yeah, version right. of those. Don't forget, and don't forget our salt vampire. Oh, and the salt vampire, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it was at a time where, you know, doing licensing on Star Trek was almost non-existent uh, as far as licensing from the TV show, uh, as far as major products. And um, Bill Malone, who is the uh, manager, uh, the, the lab manager at uh, Don Post Studios and myself, we were Star Trek fans um, at that point. You know, we were familiar with the, you know, we were familiar with the show uh, and we were looking for properties that were really kind of out, kind of outliers um, that we just really liked and um and um and and thought that if we we basically said if we like this stuff there's got to be fans out there that also like this stuff but there wasn't a pre-built audience that you could point to and say no yeah no no problem so um we um we were doing licensing deals with several of the studios um in town and um, I don't remember where our contact was regarding Paramount at the time, but we had a lot of discussions about, you know, well, how about we try, how about we try Star Trek? You know, that's a, it's, it, it does have a fan, it does have a fan base. And I think we can, you know, we can tap into that. So we did go to um, Paramount and ask for a license and they were, they were kind of like dumbstruck. <laughs> kind of like, you want what? You know, they do, huh? And um, uh, some, and then our retailers were a little bit on the, were definitely on the fence as well. They were like, "You're doing, you're going, you're going to want to do Star Trek. How are we going to sell that?" Um, so that that was, there were all kinds of hurdles, not major ones, but um, um, we just wanted to take a shot at it because we we were doing things like. Um, you know, hey, the Hammer films are have, you know, we like the Hammer films. Let's try and do a Christopher Lee Dracula. Let's do a Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows. Um, we're going to do Planet of the Apes. Um, there's, you know, there's just there, there's like this quote unquote subculture here that we can tap into. And um, we just we just went for it. And um we didn't have any, and the irony is that we didn't have any tapes, um, and we weren't following Star Trek on syndication, and those were, whatever syndication was on at the time, was very hit and miss. You couldn't just run the entire series and, like, look at what was what was good to choose from and what would be the best and mm -hmm. all this stuff. So we literally just went with our what we remembered with our gut we were like well i remember uh the gorilla kind of character the mugatu and yeah the salt vampire was really cool and uh, the gorn everybody loves the gorn so those were obvious and then then the really head scratchers even for don you know even for the people at don post was how are we going to sell a shatner and a, how are we going to sell a captain kirk and a spock mask they're just people um, but we were like, no, you gotta have, you gotta have Spock and Kirk. And, uh, we got, you know, we, we got life masks. 
um, on uh, on both of them that uh, were provided to us. And I don't remember I don't remember whether they came from Paramount or or elsewhere. And um, no, we were just we were kind of like crusaders. We were just like we just want this. We we just want to try and get license on this stuff because we like it. We just figured if we like it, you know, somebody else somebody else is going to like it. You know, um, and so we just, you know, so we just went for it. So I did the, you know, out of that grouping, um, Bill Malone did Spock and he did Kirk and I did the Mugatu and the Salt Vampire. And we did get a an actual an actual casting off of the Gorn head. Um, so that was so that was de- that was dead on. <laughs> so that one was dead on. We didn't have to do much work other than keep an eye, keep be very careful about the mold making around the eyes because all of those being uh, rhinestones yeah, on the original head. So can I ask really quickly? Uh, are you aware of how Shatner becomes the serial killer mask from Halloween? <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't a grudge with Shatner or anything else. It was just it was just simply the. Um, uh, the Halloween, uh, crew, uh, came in, uh, asking, uh, the Don Post staff to come up with a, um, a very bland, almost no detail kind of generic head shape, uh, that they wanted painted white. It was like he, uh, they wanted, they just, they just wanted something that was, uh, just a blank is the best way to describe it. And we thought about, um, you know, Bill and I thought about, you know, okay, what have we got? That's the most bland humanoid stuff that we've got in stock. Well, it's not going to be the Emmett Kelly clown and it's not going to be the devil with the horns and it's not going to be Barnabas Collins, you know, that's an old vampire. Um, and Christopher Lee is not going to cut it with his fangs. All we had was Shatner and, and Nimoy, and we debated whether or not it would be Shatner or Nimoy. And we thought about Nimoy for a, for a moment because he had kind of, yeah, he's had a much more kind of alien, kind of more distinctive face. But we figured we don't want to take the time to like rework the ears. And uh, so Shatner, so literally Shatner won out by default and the eyes were too, too small on the Shatner mask. So Bill cut the eyes out larger so that somebody would be able to see out of them. And then uh, we cut, you know, then Bill cut the uh, sideburns off because the pointed sideburns were a little too obvious. And we spent so little on making the very first mask um, for Halloween that we didn't even want to change. We didn't even want to put new hair on the mask. It was a secondary, uh, it was a secondary mask that was going to, that wasn't going to be going out because it was damaged a bit. And so, um, uh, to change the hair color, uh, Bill just sprayed the hair black on the surface. He left the brown Shatner hair on it and just sprayed a, a top coat on it. And, um, that was, that that was the beginning of the shape, uh, Michael Myers from uh, from Halloween, and we didn't have any. Uh, in all honesty, we didn't have any faith in it. We were just like, okay, this is the goofiest thing we've ever. This is the goofiest request we've ever had to fill. Okay, there you go, out the door with the white mask. Thanks, guys. And then it became a classic. And to, even to even by today's standards, it's still it's still such a standard 
And um, so, so iconic, but at the, at the time we were like, really, what are we doing? You know, it's kind of doing here. It's kind of the opposite end of what you were saying about the Beetlejuice stuff, because everything is like, you know, so exacting and, and there's this design language and then you've got this thing. It's like, well, that looks pretty horrific. Yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and see what happens there. Hey, really quickly. Well, that's how it happened. So it was, it was just happenstance that, that Shatner won out as, as the mask. And we never talked about, I mean, and ironically, and as you know, nobody ever talked about it being Shatner. We just did it as this is the most bland thing we've got. And then it became like an, urban legend that it was Shatner. And it took so many years for people to actually be convinced that it was a, and now it wasn't a Shatner mask. It was a Captain Kirk mask. Right. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. Which, which I mean, seriously does make all the difference with him. I would imagine six, six, nine, nine hundred six, eight, three, three is the phone number to call six, six, nine, nine hundred six, eight, three, three, or you can use the one top from your smartphone or, uh, you know, feel free to tap through all the stuff on Facebook and come to us that way. We've got about 10 more minutes with Robert, maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, really quickly, this is the point of the show. Where we want to remind you about a whole bunch of other shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, these are shows like uh, Women at Warp, Priority One, uh, Daily Star Trek News, Shabam, and of course, Mission Log, which ties in nicely with Mission Log Live. And uh, saving the track files to last this week, because there is a uh, there's a very special episode of the track files, which makes it sound like, you know, something from network television, <laughs> a very special episode of, of the track files this week. John, I was actually in the room when it was made, but you've heard it more recently. Remind people what uh, what's on this week's show. Yeah, so so funny thing that you were in the room while I was standing outside the room trying to get in. Uh, but I, I got there on time. That's really yeah, all oh, it was. Oh, okay, we're going there. Uh, yeah, so you were fortunate enough to be in the room when Larry was interviewing Robert Butler, the man who directed The Cage. Yes, 55 years ago, when cameras rolled on the first pilot of Star Trek, The Cage, Robert Butler was there. He's the man who called action on the first frame of Star Trek. So 91 years old, he came down to San Diego to sit with Larry, have a conversation, and it, it goes everywhere. It's about casting that show. It's about uh, what I found really fascinating, just how green Gene Roddenberry was at the time. They'd only worked together a little bit on Lieutenant, uh, Gene's still finding his way in the business. And um, it's just such a fascinating slice of production in 1964. Uh, and Robert has great stories and a great sense of humor. So please check that out on the Trek Files this week. It is a very special episode. It's a supplemental edition of the Trek Files uh, before we get back into the regular season. And you can find that at podcast.roddenberry.com and at uh, uh, podcast.com. Dot Rod, wait, podcast.rodberry.com and facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Well, I thought you were actually doing the thing because because you can actually find it at uh, podcast.rodberry.com yes. or podcasts if you're feeling uh, more plural. All, all of those. Yeah, yes. all, you, you yes. can have all of the Roddenberry Podcast Network podcasts at one place or two podcast podcasts.rodberry.com. Hey, uh, since we are running up a little bit against the clock here, I do want to fast forward a little bit, Robert, and talk to you about Star Trek, the motion picture. So you, you had uh, this experience on the animated series and you're working for Don Post Studios. And then at some point you find yourself doing effects on the motion picture. And now that movie has such a uh, bizarre story about a, an effects house being hired and fired and moving over. And they're, they're running up against to the very last minute delivering wet prints for the premiere. Uh, what did you do on that show? 
Um, I worked with Greg Jean, the uh, miniature uh, fellow who was in charge of uh, the miniatures during the um, uh, during that second tier of um, of, of visual effects. Um, and um, I was working as uh, kind of um, uh, Greg's uh, Greg's assistant and uh, model maker uh, in general um, on the, on the show. And um, what I, what I specifically spent many a sleepless night working on was uh, mainly the, in, with Greg, uh, the interior of V'ger, um, uh the area uh, that the enterprise goes into the very first part with the big globes and kind of those V shapes um, and where Spock does his spacewalk where he leaves the, uh, where he leaves the ship. So, um, um, so I was involved in, in building the, um, the interior of V'ger, which was huge. You could walk around inside of it. It was so big um, or sleep in it, depending on how late we were working. <laughs> Cause we definitely slept nights here to, you know, just kind of, again, in reference to that, uh, you know, dripping wet, the dripping wet prints. Um, uh, a lot of the spacewalk was, um, was given to me as far as what had to be done. Um, a lot of what's in the spacewalk is, is stuff that I personally built, uh, moons, planets, lava, planets, things going by, uh, moons, um, uh, what we commonly refer to as the space, this weird spaceship lip type thing that he goes through, but a good, a good portion of Spock's spacewalk, um, was the stuff that I was involved in as far as making all those elements, um, that he sees during the, during the walk. So it's V'ger and, and Spock's spacewalk. And then a bit of the connective tissue. The, I remember us working, not, you know, working, uh, late nights making little tiny hex, hex, hexagonal platformy things that reached from V'ger to the bridge to the side of the uh, enterprise uh, dish. So we had to create that bridge that, uh, that, that segues from V'ger to the, um, to the enterprise. Oh, see, this is good to know because I sort of want the entrance to my house to look like that. So I should talk to you. We'll talk to, yeah, talk to me at some time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, but I was around during, you know, for the, you know, I didn't directly work on the Enterprise itself or the space dock, but I was around for the shots where we were doing the, you know, the, the, the Enterprise in the space dock um, and, um, and, and shots like that, the little, the, the little Spock figures, you know. <laughs> the, the the not Spock figure, but the little figures that are on the you know on the grid uh, of the uh, of the docking structure and stuff. Um, so yeah, so you know, so uh, actively built the V'ger spacewalk, and then was around for a lot of the other stuff. I always I always think of the, I, I always think in very fond I think of very fond terms being in the. Um, I'd, I'd attend the um, daily sessions when we did have screenings of the effects for Robert Wise and um, uh, Richard Edlin um, and crew always used to play heavy duty rock music for all the enterprise shots as they go by. So unfortunately, whenever I think of Star Trek, uh, the motion picture, I think of it, it, it with a really heavy, you know, a really heavy rock <laughs> score 
Though I love Jerry Gold, I love Jerry Goldsmith's music for uh, for Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Well, they they did leave in that one, you know, that one heavy metal bass note. <laughs> the, 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 the blaster beam. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> uh, Robert, this has been too much fun, and we didn't talk about Uncle at all. So clearly, we have to have you back on. Just, just me and you, we'll do about six hours, and it'll be great. Yeah, um, and, th- and thanks for coming by today and uh, walking through uh, walking through Uncle Headquarters. Oh, it was uh, that was <laughs> mind blowing. I cannot wait to do it again. Uh, before we say good night, I have some great news. Uh, I just got word from Earl, and then I looked at the screen, and uh, we we hit the fundraising goal, guys. We're over $6,000 raised for Scott. That gets matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. Let's not stop there. Let's drain the coffers a little bit more. Um, I'm going to leave up the, the fundraiser for just a little while longer, just maybe like a week, and then that'll be it. But I cannot wait to get a big fat check from the foundation Send off to Scott. And then uh, I tell you what, let's check in with him. Let's check in with Chase. Let's find out how things are going to get this curriculum out into schools. I cannot thank you all enough. This has been uh, uh, near and dear to me and I know to Ken and to Chase and everybody they hear from. And uh, Scott, we absolutely love you. This is a great way to end tonight's show. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to our special guest, Robert Short, who I certainly hope we will have back again. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. As I said before, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for all of the podcasts on the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including this week's special edition of The Track Files. Um, really, just fantastic show. You don't want to miss it. Uh, if you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.